that uh, this was one of the best vacations that we have had. We just were able to relax, enjoy our family, hook up with some friends. I ministered last week in my mom and dad's church, and we just had a really, really good vacation. And I always look forward to our time away, obviously, because I get a chance to unwind and relax and just rest a little bit. But also, on a more personal note, it really has helped me through the years get some clarity. Um, I hope you'll understand when I say sometimes it's hard for me to really discern what God is saying to us as a fellowship because I'm here all the time. You've heard the saying, um, you can't see the forest for the trees. And that really is, is how I feel sometimes. I'm here all the time. So I hear everything. I see everything. And because of that, it's hard sometimes to really separate all that I see happening, all that I hear happening, and really get the mind of the Lord. It's very easy to, to be moved by what you see and by what you hear and lose focus on what God is actually saying. And I have found that whenever I'm away, that I get some clarity. I, I can hear God better when I'm away. And the Lord was faithful. No sooner did we drive into the state of Maine. Kathy was having a little bit of a nap. And, and I just had some quiet time with the Lord. And the Lord began to lay some things on my heart. Um, one of those things I'm going to share with you today. The other I'm kind of working through in the month of July. And I really believe in August that we're going to spend some time talking about spiritual warfare. And that's not something that I talk a lot about, I believe in, but I think too much uh, emphasis is put upon warfare sometimes. But there were some very specific things that the Lord laid on my heart while I was away that I, I feel like some of us are dealing with, and we need to expose what the enemy is up to in these last days so that we can live overcoming lives in Jesus' name. But... Today I want to share with you something that really the Lord's been working in my heart for the last couple of weeks, actually. And, you know, through the years, I'm going to tell you right now, this is a teaching. I'm not going to be my normal preaching self today. This is something that I just have to teach to you. I have to share this from my heart. And, uh, and I just pray that you'll receive it. We've seen... A lot happened in our country over the last couple of weeks. And, and if you're like me, you're trying to figure out how do I navigate through this? You know, what is the proper position of a believer in the hostility that we find ourselves in right now? And I just feel like it's reached such a feverish pitch in this country that I can't remain silent anymore. That at some point as a pastor, I need to say some things so that you'll have at least a little bit of an idea of the direction that God would want us to go in in this hour. That we would not lose sight of what we are truly called to be and to do in this hour. It's hard to believe that on Wednesday, the United States will be celebrating 242 years of liberty and freedom of independence. And I don't know about you, but I am thankful for the United States of America. I'm thankful for our country. I'm, I'm proud to be called a citizen of the United States. Listen, are we perfect? No. 
Do we have failures and will we fail in the future? Of course we will. We are not a perfect nation. We're pursuing perfection, but we know we're not there. We we know that we're not a perfect nation, but I thank God for our nation. And, And, you know, I was thinking about this over the weekend. The very fact that we have a problem with immigration right now only shows you how good this nation really is. Because they're not breaking down the borders of every other nation to try and get into their nation. They're trying to get in here. So lest we think we're a really bad nation, let's remember that there's something good about the United States of America. And we're thankful for our country. Can you just again give God thanks for this country that we live in, in Jesus' name, okay? Um, But isn't it sad that at a time... When we in unity should be celebrating the freedom that we have, we actually find our nation more divided than we've seen in recent years. It's really sad that in the midst of our celebration of our freedom, that there is a great deal of division that is going on right now. Now, you know, I was thinking about it again over the weekend that to a certain degree, I can handle the division. It's not so much the division that bothers me because wherever you're going to have free thought, you're going to have differing views. We've always had division, if you will, in this country because we don't necessarily see all things the exact same way. And so there's always going to be a degree of division. That's not what really upsets me. That's not what really concerns me. What concerns me now more than ever is the hostility that is in our nation. It's the lack of civility. It is the the anger and the resentment and the bitterness that just spews out of both sides today. We, we can't just sit down and, and have a discussion anymore. We, we, we're always fighting and there is this hostility and there is this anger and this bitterness. And listen, I, I've never seen anything like it in my lifetime. Now, I realize I was born in 1967, so I didn't really know the 60s and the early and even mid-70s. I have some memories there, but you know, when you're little, you don't care about politics that much. But I know the turbulence that this nation was in during the Vietnam War and when the fall of Saigon took place and when we withdrew from Vietnam and, and all that was going on in, you know, this country racially and, and you know, politically. I, I know it was really tough then as well, but in my lifetime, I can't remember when we were such a hostile nation toward one another, where you would have elected officials that would literally call out for, really for violence against uh, each other. I mean, we are living in an unprecedented time. Now listen, I gotta be honest, I don't really expect much from the world. I really don't. I don't expect the world to live a whole lot different. You know, I I do expect some degree of civility, but I know as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ that there's only one thing that restrains the heart of man, and that is the love of God that is lavishly poured out in the hearts of men by the Holy Spirit. That is the only thing that actually restrains the heart of men and women. Now, if you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, you've learned to restrain yourself to some degree because you just realize 
that you can't just say whatever you want to say and do whatever you want to do and hope to get anywhere in this world. But eventually, any restraint outside of Christ is going to fail you. The only thing that can truly restrain the heart of man is the love of God that has been poured out by the Holy Spirit. And that's the only thing that can truly restrain the heart. So I'm not really thinking much uh, more for the world. I expect them to become hostile at some point because that's all that they live for. This is the only kingdom that they have and so they're fighting for their kingdom. And and I recognize that. But i got to be honest. I hold uh, a greater expectation for the body of Christ. I expect more from us. I expect more from those who are of the household of faith. I expect more for those who profess to be followers of Jesus Christ. I, I expect more from those who literally are saying that they call upon the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the name that is above all other names. Listen, we're better than that. We're better than that. And yet, what is sad is that I find many Christians are right there throwing out the insults, mocking individuals because they do not agree with them politically, and they keep the fires of contention burning. My Bible tells me that a soft answer turns away wrath. My Bible tells me that where there is no wood, the fire goes out. And if you remove the mocker, then contention will cease. But for whatever reason, there are Christians that just disregard that completely when it comes to politics, and they join in the fray. And yet your Savior, Jesus Christ, was the one that said that one of the redeeming qualities that would always and consistently be found in a follower of Jesus Christ, and one who has been transformed by the Holy Spirit, is that they are peace. Makers. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers for they are the children of God. Jesus said, you'll always be able to find the child of God because they will be the ones on the front lines seeking to make peace. Jesus said that a true follower of his will do anything and everything within the limits of Scripture and without compromising the word of God to maintain peaceful relationships with the people of the world. They will not wait for the world to seek to make peace. Instead, recognizing that they are held accountable for what part belongs to them, they will seek peace with all people. But that's not the way of many Christians. Some of you even here today. Some of you have joined right in, in this hostile, extremely volatile political climate that we live in today. Sadly, we've ramped it up with social media. I'm telling you, you know, I, I, I was on vacation. I put some pictures of our vacation up on Facebook. But I'm going to tell you, Facebook has become a battlefield. And I have watched full-blown battles involving friends and family erupt on Facebook over political issues and when it's over the only thing that won was division and both went to their corner sometimes defriending each other claiming victory I've won you've won what offending a brother offending a sister and yet over against that madness and over against that insanity stands our lowly savior Jesus the Christ, 
the son of the living God. He stands before Pilate, who is the highest ranking government authority of that day. Pilate is, you know, the governor over all of that region. And Jesus is standing before him. His life is in the balance. And all that Jesus has to do is yield some information, is answer a few questions. And Pilate has guaranteed him, I will set you free. And Jesus answers him in John 18 and says, My kingdom is not of this world. Did you hear that? My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. I love that. Now my kingdom is not from here. One day it will be. Because the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and of His Christ and He will rule and reign for all of eternity. Okay, but right now, my kingdom is not from here. My kingdom is not of this world. And Jesus was saying that not only for the benefit of Pilate, but more for the benefit of you and I as followers. He said, listen, take heart. My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not about the United States. My kingdom is not about Canada and Mexico and Venezuela My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is the kingdom of Almighty God. It is an invisible kingdom that resides within the hearts of men and women. He says, if my kingdom was of this world, then yeah, my disciples, they'd be fighting. Because that's what you do. You fight because you want that person in office. And you fight because you want this policy in place. And you fight because that's what people do when they live for the kingdoms of this world but that's not the kingdom of God we don't advance that way we don't have to use violence and we don't have to use rhetoric because no one can stop the kingdom of almighty God no one can stop the purposes of God that's what he's saying Pilate he says you don't understand when God is purposed to do something he's going to do it And it doesn't matter who's got the so-called power because all the power comes from God only. Listen, it doesn't matter who the President of the United States of America is. It has no bearing at all upon the kingdom of Almighty God. It doesn't matter who the President is now or who it will be in the future. It doesn't. It will never stop the kingdom of God from advancing. It doesn't matter if the Democrats hold the house or the Republicans hold the house. It doesn't matter what policies are on the books. It doesn't matter what decision we make with immigration. Even religious freedoms have absolutely no bearing at all upon the advancement of the kingdom of God. Who is going to stop the kingdom of God? And some of you I know are struggling. No, 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 Pastor Kurt. We got to have this president and this party's got to be in office and we got to have these policies in order for God's will to be done. Are you kidding me? Have you ever read your Bible? God left in it the book of Acts to show us that the church thrived when it was being persecuted. When they had no religious freedom, the church still grew and could not be stopped for the glory and for the honor of Almighty God. So much so that by the time Constantine actually legalized Christianity... Some will estimate that a quarter, some will even go up to a half 
of the entire Roman Empire was Christian. And they did it under the worst conditions. And in a modern illustration, can I just tell you that within the next 10 to 15 years, the center of Christianity will be in China. There'll be more Christians living in China than anywhere else on the planet Earth. And it all happened underground. It happened with a regime that was bent on destroying God. But you can't stop the kingdom of God. Can somebody say amen to that? If you believe it. Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Can I hear a better amen from you? No one. If Hillary Clinton had been elected, it would have had no impact Upon the advancement of the kingdom of God. None whatsoever. Oh, it probably would have made some of us upset. But it's not like God's up there saying, Oh man, Hillary's in office. I can't move in the United States. He probably saying, I can move more. Because maybe my people will start crying out to me instead of looking to the president of the United States. So oh, come on, I love the way you're shouting now. I remember, remember when, remember when Jesus again standing before Pilate. Pilate says to him, "Jesus, please just answer my questions. Don't you know that I have the power to free you or to have you crucified?" And we portray that as if he was, you know, bowing up with Jesus. Don't you know that I have the power to crucify you or to set you free? Come on, give me a break. Your Bible tells you that he was scared to death of Jesus. He wanted nothing to do with Jesus. He said, Jesus, please, I don't want your blood on my hands. I have the power to crucify you, but I have the power to free you as well. Please, just answer my questions. And Jesus said to him, he says, you would have no power had it not been given to you from heaven. Now, he wasn't being smart with Pilate. What he was saying is, Pilate, you don't understand. You're just a pawn in this. You don't understand that I'm the Lamb of God that was slain from the foundations of the earth. I'm going to the cross with or without you. Because that's already been determined. And God is just using you to fulfill the plan that was established before the foundations of the earth were ever established. He says, so don't sweat it. You're just part of this. But God is in control. And when God has purpose to do something no man can stop it. Come on, somebody say amen to that. And that's liberating. That's liberating. Because as Christians, and we can just say, hey, if God is for us, then no one can be against us. So I can just be about my father's business and not worry about this kingdom that I'm living in, this country. I don't have to, I don't have to exhaust myself because I'm not here to be political. I'm here to represent the kingdom of Almighty God. This is why Jesus never addressed the governmental abuses of his day. And there were plenty of them. Jesus never once cried out against the evil and unjust taxes. He just told his disciples, pay them. It's too much. Pay them. I don't have representation. Pay them. 
That's what you do. You pay your taxes, you pray for your leaders, and you obey the commandments of man as long as it does not cause you to be disobedient to God. That's our involvement. That's it. We are commanded in Scripture, pray for your leaders, pay your taxes, and obey the law. That's our involvement. Jesus never, oh boy, you're going to love this one. You'll never find a place where Jesus demanded rights, where he demanded even civil rights, or even the abolishment of slavery, which was rampant at that time. He never makes a political statement. What does Jesus do? Jesus, from the moment he started ministry, we know what he preached. From the moment he started, he preached, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he ended his ministry with repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Acts chapter 1 makes it very clear that those 40 days from the resurrection till his ascension, he preached to them the things concerning the kingdom of Almighty God. That's all he gave them, the kingdom of God all the time. He hammered away at the heart of man because Jesus knew that true transformation of a nation, of a country, of a people is not going to come through political force and mandate and edict, but it is going to come through men and women whose lives have been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit of God and are surrendered to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Listen, would you not agree with me that the more people that get saved, the less sin would be in this world? that's, That's just the reality of it. And that was always the direction that Jesus took. That's why Paul was not making political statements in a time when he certainly could because he realized it's not through man that the purposes of God are fulfilled. It is through the Spirit operating in men and women of God that change truly occurs in Jesus' name. I love the way you're shouting here. Maybe I'm in the wrong church. I don't know. That's what we're called to do. We're not called to be political. We're called to be the people of God who represent the kingdom of God on this earth in Jesus' name. Now, I've got to be clear. Does that mean that we're to be passive? Of course not. Listen, we have a civic responsibility to vote our conscience. We have a civic responsibility to vote for candidates that hold to the values we believe best represent the values of the kingdom of God. But beyond that, my mission on this earth is to advance one message and one message only. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I am not here to make political statements I am here. You are here. It's not just me. You're here not to be political. You are here to preach one message and one message only. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 and 2, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And can I tell you that if you'll commit yourself to that message, that will get you in trouble enough. 
You don't need the political thing to get you in trouble. Just stay with the gospel. Because Paul said in the first chapter, he says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Jews, they're always requesting signs and wonders and miracles. And Greeks, they want wisdom and the accumulation of knowledge. But we preach Christ and Him crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block. To the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Paul said, I preach Christ crucified. Because at the end of the day, it's not the policies that they hold to that determine their destiny. It is whether Jesus Christ is in their heart and in their life. We preach Christ crucified. We're not going to cave in to the political pressure of the Jews who are always wanting a sign, nor are we going to cave under the pressure politically of the Greeks who want a message that is more wise. We're going to preach Christ crucified. And we know that some are going to be offended, some are going to stumble and walk away, but for everyone who believes in Jesus Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God and that's all that we are doing is winning people to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and whenever the church gets political whenever Christians become political the message always suffers the cross is always compromised so in these few moments that we have, I want to share with you very quickly, I'm going to take a long time with them, I want to share with you five dangers that we will always face when we become political. When a church becomes political, when we as Christians become political, five dangers that we'll always face. Number one, as Christians, we've been called to redeem time, not waste it. We've been called to redeem time, not waste it. And you're not going to like this, But the more time you invest in politics, the more time you're wasting. Now, politics is not completely a waste of time, but I'm telling you, the more time you invest in politics and political positions, the more time you're wasting. And God called you to redeem your time, not waste it. Being political requires a lot of time, a lot of resources, and a lot of emotional and mental energy. And I've seen some of you more fired up about the border than you ever have been fired up about the Bible. You are more concerned about who's getting into America than you are about those getting into the kingdom of God. Being political just wipes out your time. And ultimately, no matter what is decided politically, it's all coming to nothing anyway. It's, it, does that mean it's not important? Of course not. It's important. But all of our politicking for right now, it's coming to nothing anyway. Now, I'm not saying that we are not to be mindful of government. I'm not, and if you leave here saying it, you're a liar. I'm just telling you. We're, we're to be mindful of our government. We are to be very concerned about the direction that we're going in. I have my personal views about what's going on at the border right now. But that's my personal view. It has nothing to do with what I'm called to do. 
I am called, as you are called, to make disciples of all nations. And I cannot allow my politics to take center stage. And, and everything that we decide is, again, it's passing away eventually. This is the beauty that we have in the Bible because we know how it's all going to end. Can I hear an amen on that? We know that one day, as I've already mentioned, the kingdoms of this world are going to become the kingdoms of our God and of His Christ. So one day the United States will not exist. God's not sending His kingdom up in Washington, D.C., The whole world is going to be His kingdom and He will rule and reign for all of eternity. So we recognize that the more time I invest in the earthly kingdoms, ultimately I'm wasting my time. When I've been called to redeem my time. Paul said in Ephesians 5 and verse number 15, look carefully then how you walk, how you conduct yourself, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. And we know as Christians that the wisdom of God is different than the wisdom of this world. The wisdom of God is comprehensive insight into the ways and the purposes of God. So we are to conduct ourselves as men and women who have insight into the purposes of God and the ways and the means by which those purposes are actually fulfilled. He says, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Boy, are they evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You know, there are many that are always searching for the will of God. And sometimes it can feel a little evasive to us. But here is what I would tell you. There is one thing we know beyond the shadow of a doubt is the will of God. According to 2 Peter chapter 3, and I believe it's verse number 9, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. We are told that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes upon Him would not perish but have everlasting life. The overarching will of God is that none would perish but that they would come to repentance and have everlasting life in Jesus Christ our Lord and our Savior. And so understanding that I am to walk in a way that is promoting the gospel of Jesus Christ and not my political agenda. So, I want to ask you, I don't know, you're going to have to answer this, but I want to know, no, I don't, I don't want you to come up and tell me, okay, but I'm asking you, okay, how much time this week, let's say in the last few weeks as this has been boiling up, let me just ask you, how much time have you invested in watching the news until you're boiling over with anger and you just see red? Versus how much time did you wait upon the Lord and say, Holy Spirit of the living God Almighty, teach my lips how to be seasoned with salt so that I may lead someone to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. How much time did you invest writing your political views on Facebook, which you know is going to stir up the hornets, Versus how much time did you pour over the word of God, searching for the word of the Lord to unlock the hearts of men and women that they might be saved? Are you redeeming your time or are you just really wasting it by being more political? That's a danger. Second danger. 
is that we often are required to join forces with others who are not always kingdom-minded. The more political that you become, you're required to join forces with others who are not always kingdom-minded. Can I just tell you something? Somebody might agree with you politically. That doesn't mean that they're kingdom-minded. doesn't mean that Jesus is the center of their convictions. They're looking at everything politically. We're to be looking at it in kingdom mindsets. When I look at the immigration and I look at the border situation right now, I've got to try and remind myself this isn't a political issue. For me, this is a kingdom issue. How would God deal with this? Because he doesn't see a problem, he sees people. You see political problems, God sees people. And that's where my heart's got to be. And I'm not making a statement, I'm just telling you, that's my mindset. And I've got to remind myself that the more political I am, the more it forces me into a position where I'm dealing with people that maybe are not kingdom-minded. Oftentimes, being political means that I've got to join with others who may share the same ideology with me that I might have a greater influence. But though they may have similar convictions... That doesn't mean that they are centered in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I'll just tell you, when I drive, which I love driving, that's my zone. That's when I can just be alone with God. And I listen to a lot of talk radio. I do. I enjoy it. Okay? But every once in a while, I've got to remind myself that the majority, I would say all of the people I listen to, though I agree with them politically, they're not saved. You you do realize that conservative doesn't mean Christian. Some of you didn't know that. You can be a conservative and not be a Christian. There's going to be plenty of conservatives in hell. There are going to be plenty of liberals in hell. Plenty of Democrats in hell. Plenty of Republicans in hell. It's an equal opportunity employer. I mean, they'll take anybody. Okay? So you just have to understand that just because someone stands for my right to religion doesn't mean they love Jesus at all. And isn't it, don't, don't you just feel, come on, let's be honest, don't you feel a little dirty when the person you supported so, and, and I'm not talking about any one individual, but we've all been on this planet long enough, don't you feel a little dirty when someone you were supporting and were very vocal about, all of a sudden it turns out that they just are a slime you know, as far as morality is concerned? Man, maybe I should have stayed on vacation a little longer. In Nevada, right now, some of you know this, in Nevada, there are Christians who are supporting a brothel owner named Dennis Hoff on the Republican ticket. He owns a very famous brothel in Nevada. He's running as a Republican, and the Christians are lining up to vote for him. And when they're asked, why are you voting for him? He says, well, because we need an honest man. Wow. (laughs) Honesty, prostitution. He is making money on fantasy. He is aiding in sex trafficking. And the exploitation of women. 
If I voted for them, I'd have to take a bath afterwards, literally. I, I don't even know if that would do it. Paul said, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. What fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell with them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them uh, and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. We're to be separate. We're kingdom-minded. We're men and women of integrity. If you remember our series a couple of weeks ago, we said that integrity is being fully integrated, which means that I am consistent among all of my views. Here's a great example. Most of us in this room believe that abortion is a murder. We, we might throw different words on it. At the end of the day, we believe that abortion is a murder of a human life. But we also believe that fornication is a sin against God. But many people who will shout out and shout down abortion think nothing to sleeping around and living with each other. Do you see what I'm saying? Is that all of a sudden, I'm, I'm in league with people who are not kingdom-minded. Now, some of you, I know, you're, you're saying, what are we supposed to do? Because good luck trying to find a solid believer running for any office. I mean, you know, we all know that they use the title, but Anybody can be a Christian in the United States today. That's kind of the way we look at it. It doesn't matter how you live. Just as long as you say you're a Christian, then you are, okay? How are we supposed to vote? Well, listen, the only thing I can tell you there is you take the platform of one candidate and the platform of the other candidate. You go along with God. You open up the Word, and you try to find the one that best represents the kingdom principles of God and vote And then, let's get back to the business of the kingdom of God, which is winning the lost for Jesus Christ. That's what our business really is. All right? I got to move. Third, we're to be eternally minded, not temporally minded. From the moment we wake up until the moment we go to sleep, we should be thinking about heaven and hell We should be thinking about the fact that every man and every woman upon this planet will one day stand before God Almighty and God is not going to look at them and say, what did you think about immigration? He's not going to stand up and say, what was your position on gun control? He's going to say, did you know my son, Jesus Christ, as your Lord and Savior? Come on. I don't know that this weak clapping really is telling to me. All that we debate and fight over is temporal. It's going to all pass away. Those men and women pouring over that border, and again, I am for border control. I think that there needs to be reformation there. I don't believe we should just open up our borders and just let every. That's my view, Okay. However, those are real people down there who, in many cases, are running from oppression and have nowhere else to go. 
It's tough. I would not want to be Jeff Sessions. I wouldn't want to be in that position, having to make these things. But at the end of the day, no matter what is decided, it's temporal. Only the word of God will not pass away. Only that which is built upon Christ will endure. And only those who have called upon the name of Jesus Christ are going to be saved. So for me to spend any time worrying about something that 150 years from now isn't going to matter, it's a waste of my time. I am more concerned about a soul and where they'll spend eternity than a body and where it will spend its temporal time here on this planet. Fourth, the danger that we face is that it always ends up with a compromised message. Always ends up with a compromised message. When we as Christians preach politics first, the message of the cross is always lost. It's easy to see how unbelievers feel that we are just preaching a message of social reform and policies and electing officials because that's all that we ever seem to talk about. But folks, we carry a message of eternal importance. Getting that message out is more important than anything else. That, that is what we are on this planet to do. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5 and 20, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. I love that word because we all know what ambassadors are. Ambassadors are from one country, but they're sent to another country to represent the views and the, and the kingdom from which they came from, the country from which they hailed from. And you and I are ambassadors for Christ. Listen, I, I know that I live in the United States and I thank God for our country, but I'm going to tell you, the moment I bowed my knee and said, Jesus, come into my heart, I transferred my citizenship and I became a citizen of the kingdom of Almighty God. And I happen to be an ambassador to the United States of America to represent the kingdom of Almighty God and to tell men and women there's hope in Jesus Christ. That's my, that's my call. That's your call. 2 Corinthians 5.20, again, he just says, listen to this, and now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God... We're pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be Democrats. Be Republicans. Be conservatives. Be liberals. No. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. This is about God and knowing Him through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. And then fifth, boy, I could go on, but fifth, we turn our mission field into the enemy. The fifth danger that we face when we become political is that we turn our mission field into the enemy. Political campaigns make that abundantly clear. Fueled by a righteous cause, each side wages war with the carnal weapons of this age. Each demonizes each other. And they employ the sharpest, and I might add, the sometimes the nastiest rhetoric. Some of you have never said one prayer for Nancy Pelosi. But you curse her every day you get. 
That's a far cry from Jesus who was called a friend of sinners. Our mandate, the only mandate that Christ gave us was right before he left. And he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make Democrats of all the nations. Is that what your Bible says? Go therefore and make Republicans of all the nations. Go therefore and make conservatives of all the nations. Go therefore and make progressive of all, no. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of my term. (laughs) Does it say that? (laughs) No. To the end of the age, which means that this is the mandate until Christ comes again to make disciples. And I can never allow my politics to make the people I am called to minister to my enemy. People are lost today, folks. They are lost. Like, we still believe in hell. And if your family members and your friends and your coworkers that do not know Christ as Lord and Savior were to draw their last breath today without Christ, they'd be lost for eternity. And people are lost not because they're liberals, no matter what you think. They're lost not because they're conservatives. They're lost not because they are Republicans or not because they are Democrats. They're not lost because they oppose life, marriage, and gender as it's laid out in the Word of God. They are lost Because we all have sinned. And we have all fallen short of the glory of Almighty God. And the only hope that we have is the saving grace of God that is shown through Jesus Christ. And that message trumps all the other messages. Amen. Praise God. Thank you. Some of you openly mock those who are lost. You call them by name. You curse them. You call them idiots. You call them morons. And you brag about it every chance you get. And it's because they don't agree with you politically, yet you've never shed a tear over their soul that is lost right now. That's not Christ. That's not the kingdom of God. Peter said in 1 Peter 3 and verse 15, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. As I read that the other day, I thought, oh my goodness. How convicting is this verse? Because Peter said, that you should be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. So I want to ask you, when was the last time you had an unbeliever that just came up to you? Not that you went to, but when was the last time that a real unbeliever came up to you and said, can you give me a reason for the hope that lies within you? We're always talking about how we got to go out and tell everybody. Peter says... No, you know what? 
in actuality, if your life has been radically transformed by Christ and your love is radically from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, then at some point, the unbelievers are going to be racing up to you and asking you, can you give me a reason for the hope that lies within you? I've been watching you over the last few weeks. I've been watching you over the last few months, the last few years. And there's something different about you. When we're all divided in our politics, you're the one that either avoids the conversation, you do everything to distract us from it and get it off of that. You're a peacemaker. I know you have political views, but you never really talk about it. I see you having a peace in the midst of storms and trials, and there is a hope that lies within you. Can you give me a reason for that? Yeah, I can. You see, long ago, I discovered that my real problem wasn't my politics. My real problem wasn't my position on border control and gun control. My real problem was that I had sinned against a holy God in heaven. And the unrest that was in my heart was my conscience bearing witness with my own heart that I had sinned against God and that I was racing towards judgment. But I met a man, his name is Jesus Christ. And he gave his life for me. And I came to the Father one day and I confessed my sin. And he was faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me from all of my unrighteousness. And from this day forward, I have lived for the glory of his kingdom so that one day you would ask me this very question so that I could tell you what he's done for me. He'll do for you in Jesus' name. That's the kingdom of God, folks. That's the kingdom of God. I know. Man, I am so late. Can I, can I just take a minute? Many of you know we were in Maine. We were there for a week. But last Sunday after church, we, we uh, went over to Quebec to visit old Quebec City. Um, we hadn't been there ever, and we just wanted to see it. By the way, I just would say, if you've never seen old city Quebec, it's the closest you'll ever come to going to Europe without going to Europe. It's beautiful. Now, growing up, I went to Canada all the time. I lived five minutes from Canada. I probably was in Canada two or three times a month growing up. And I just thought it was different. It was unique over there. But I hadn't been in Canada for a while. But I'll tell you this. Because I was thinking about it when I was driving back. I don't remember a time when I was ever more conscious, any more aware of the fact that I was a United States citizen in Canada than this time. Listen, you can blame a lot of different things. I blame the media. But that's how the world sees us. That's how we're being portrayed. And I know that in other countries, we don't have the best of reputations now. And I just said, you know what? It's not going to happen on my watch. No one's going to be able to look at me and say, yeah, it's just one of those crazy Americans again. I was very mindful that I represented the United States and I wanted to represent it well. 
I wanted, I wanted to give it a good name. I was concerned every time I got in our car and it had New Jersey license plates on it. I said, you know what, I'm going to drive with the natives and I am gonna, you know, I'm going to conform to their laws because I don't want anyone to judge the nation or the state on my, on my bad behavior. So I went out of my way because I was concerned about representing the country and the state well. And as I was driving back Wednesday, I thought of that. And I thought, if I was that concerned about the reputation of this country and this state, how much more should I be concerned about the kingdom of Almighty God and the reputation of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, because I represent Him. And folks, that's how we have to live. It's not, again, I'm thankful I'm an American. But that has no bearing on my call. I am a man of the kingdom of God, and I want to represent Jesus well. I don't want people to say it's just one of those other arrogant Christians that are trying to always push their morality on us. Jesus was a friend of sinners. I would love to be a friend of sinners as well. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. The healing of this nation is on the doorstep of the church. Don't wait for the world to confess its sin. The Bible says you confess your sins. We need to humble ourselves, get rid of our pride, our national arrogance, our self-reliance, and pray, not for our will to be done, but for the will of God to be done, to seek His face, to turn from our wicked ways, from our racism, our bigotry, our laziness, our greed, our lack of compassion. Then God will hear from heaven, forgive our sins, and He'll heal our land from sea to shining sea. In Jesus' name. Bless the Lord. Can you have every head bowed, every eye closed? Father, I wish we had more time just to really reflect on these things said, but I would ask that if we are getting defensive, that only shows the pride that's within our heart. Because even if there was something wrong with what I would say, a humble man would still just be broken before you. Many of us in this room would hate to admit it, but we have put the kingdom of man ahead of the kingdom of God. And I just would ask, over this 4th of July weekend, that we would spend time with you saying, Lord, show me the true nature of my heart. Am I representing your kingdom well or am I dishonoring? In Jesus' name.